we're reading a course from Genesis 3, uh, the 14th verse. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all the, day, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till the you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. This morning when I got up, I um, and really this week it's been preparing has been really difficult, and sometimes it's more difficult than other weeks or whatever, but also just kind of was telling Ryan Brown this morning, I mean, some, some days you just feel really off, you know, I mean, you just feel like, you know how you have an off day at work? Well, it's not really cool when you're a preacher and you have the off day, you know, you start feeling that and you think, is this really in my heart? Is it really rooted there? Is, um, you know, I'm struggling with even coming up here and all those things, but I just, being with you this morning, just sitting, being, I mean, I've been ministered to so much, um, by the body this morning, really encouraged, um, really, really encouraged me. So I just want to tell you thanks, um, all of you, as we participated together. It's it's a uh, it's very very helpful for me. And so, if you would just uh, pray with me, and as we get started, Father, we just pray this morning that you would um, continue to minister to our hearts. You would cause us to love and cherish what you love and cherish, and that we would really want to understand and apply um, the truth you have um, given to us from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, as we started in the garden, we realized that it was a glorious place. The infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God created this world that was uh, good. He called it good. And because of the nature of who he is, he is infinitely good. And he is infinitely wise. And so therefore, the, the place that he's created is good and it's complete and he rested from all of his work and as you study the text and kind of think about it you see in this story that this good creation is infiltrated by a serpent and the serpent comes and questions God's word and calls upon uh, Eve to turn away and then Adam follows and they both rebel against God and against his rule and really we study we've been studying this but Adam's rebellion his sin was transmitted to the whole human race. That means we are all guilty by just being born in Adam, born of the woman, born under the curse, if you will, is how the Scripture presents it. We are corrupted in our nature. And not only that, we're going to experience the miseries of this life, death itself, and without Christ, the hell forever. 
I mean, that, that's the reality. That's the condition that we find ourselves in. And so what we found out, though, is after this took place, that we had shame, guilt, and blame. That's kind of the, the progression that you see our first parents begin in this process. And that is what takes place. And you see them begin to point away and say, well, it's not my fault and all those things. But ultimately, today we're going to see the judge of the universe. He's going to come to this place and we're going to see him come up to them and he is going to pronounce judgment upon this rebellion. So regardless, sometimes you know how we've said we change the rules or we change God's law or we do this or we do that and we think that somehow we're going to get out of it because we've changed our minds about what God said. Or we don't want to listen to what God says. And so we kind of think there's not going to be a day of accounting. Well, for Adam and Eve, it was very quick where they're standing. But in, in a sense, that we understand that ultimately they're going to face the final judgment if they are not trusting in the promise of God. In the same way, you and I, sometimes we think we're living our lives. Nobody's really holding us accountable. All things are good. But one day we'll stand before the judge of the universe too. And we need to see how we should respond and what we should say and what we what we should trust in in spite of our sins. So I think it's helpful as we do that now. Today you're going to see the relationship with God is severed through this. We also see our relationship with one another and our relationship to the whole earth was broken through the fall and you're going to see that come face to face with that this morning. Also I want to mention too, one time I was speaking to a church not too far from here and after I was finished, this person came up to me and said, the Old Testament God, man, he's pretty tough. He's a hard man. You know, he's tough. You know, that's kind of how people speak. And that New Testament God, he's a really, he's kind of more love and not really into that kind of judgment stuff. And of course, I, I looked at them and said, that's completely not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's not growing in wisdom. God's not growing in, in uh, becoming softer as he gets old. You know, I mean, that's kind of the presentation. What is that? It gets softer as he gets older. You know, he's not quite as tough as he used to be. Da, da, da. That's not God. God is the same. Again, yesterday, today, and forever. And God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all of His attributes, meaning that He is always just, and He is in, in completely just, and completely merciful. And so, we have to kind of see that. We're going to see both of those attributes on display this morning. And I hope that you see that, but you understand that this God is the same God. He is a God who judges sin, but also offers grace. And we're going to see that in this text, and and that that should help you as we move forward. So if you would, make sure you're in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, and that's what we're going to be looking today. But I just want you to kind of one last little thing about this whole deal. The issue of blessings and curses. In the Scripture, when you say someone has, uh, you'll see sometimes where God will bless someone or He'll curse someone. There was a time where God speaks to Israel and He says, I will bless obedience and I curse disobedience. That is God's way. And kind of what you're seeing here, God told Adam, He says, I will bless you if you will follow Me and obey My Word and I will curse you if you disobey. And we see that kind of throughout Scripture. Just kind of wanted to make note of that as we're moving forward. And it also kind of brings to my mind as we're looking at 3.14 and we're going to see God kind of, He's going to curse those who have rebelled against Him. Do you, do you know what it would be like? Some people's minds when they're kind of free to think and they kind of, or they sit by themselves a long time and they get this mind and thoughts about God. They entertain this kind of thought about God and so they'll say, 
God's the man upstairs, or God's this, or God is all love, or God is... And they'll come up with all those kinds of things. Could you imagine a world with no consequences? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine a world where lawlessness was never punished? You want to imagine it unless somebody steals out of your bank account. Right? As long as it's only your lawlessness, it's okay. But when someone's stealing from you, or someone takes um, uh, someone in your family and they hurt them in a very horrible way, we, you know, when that stuff happens, everybody wants justice. We're crying out, we need justice. When you hear of some of the darkness in this world and some of the evil things that are done, we want justice, especially when it comes to us or it being done to us. I've, I've heard, I read a story not too long ago where at the end, this guy, is, he faces someone hurts his, his, uh, one of his family members very close to him, and he says, I want blood. I want blood. I want to see that person bleed. And, and, and I think that natural tendency where we say, we want to see that. Guess what? That is something God says. There must be punishment for rebellion. And yet we also see, again, I just kind of want to keep reiterating that, is that God is also going to do something. The, the powerful thing that you're going to see this morning is that God is going to get blood and He is going to punish sin. And Jesus is going to go to a cross and He will have to die for us. God is not going to look past sin. He will judge sin. And for those who hope in Christ, they are hoping in the reality that when God said He judged His Son, He did it. And so that He can extend mercy to us. It's not that God ever turns His eyes away from sin. God is going to judge it, but when He extends mercy, we're overwhelmed by that so that He can be both the just God and the justifier who's going to make things right. We need to hear that. Genesis is going to be preaching that. We're going to look at that more fully next week, but I just want you to get that in your mind as we move forward. In verse 14 though, as we begin, we start with the serpent being cursed. And he says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I think just the we're just kind of moving through here, but I think it's important just to note that the, the animal here, the snake, it, there, there's a sense in which you almost feel like verse 14 emphasizes the animal. In verse 15, what was Revelation calls the serpent of old, Satan. Now they're kind of mixed in here together, and so but I think you just kind of need to note that because there is this element to where this serpent who was this crafty animal probably just in many ways a marvelous creature. I mean, it certainly was because the Lord said it was good. All that He created, the serpent was, there was something marvelous about the serpent and yet the serpent rebels against God under the, you might say, the empowerment of Satan and yet God is going to judge the serpent here. And we're going to see He's going to travel in a state of humiliation the rest of His days. He will eat from the dust as you will see uh, throughout this, and he'll be cursed throughout the the centuries. And and sometimes we think about in our world when you see a snake, where there's some some level of fear, and then another level of I want to kill that snake. And I 
I remember one time out squirrel hunting. It was in the early part of the year, and I was sitting there looking for squirrels for a long time. And you know, when you're squirrel hunting, you're looking into the trees. You're not looking on the ground. So I sit down, and then somebody like calls me. Um, I had one of those really kind of ghetto Motorola gray flip phones. Y'all remember those? That was back in the day. But anyway, it, you know, it was like weighed 10 pounds. But anyway, I, I carried that with me, and somebody called me, and I get. I remember kind of sitting there. I talked on the phone, and I was getting up, and I looked like six, five or six feet over there, a snake. You know, you're horrified, and you're ready, and I, so, of course, you know, I ended the snake's life. Well, in this kind of thing, there's this element to where the snake is always, for us even now, you feel like he's, you wear a boot to hide your heels and your feet and your, your shins and all this kind of thing because the snake might get you. You see that kind of enmity kind of taking place every day. There's whole places in Texas where they have uh, every year a festival where they round up the snakes, you know, and Somebody told me we might go there this year and check that out. But anyway, verse 15, though, moves beyond that. In verse 15, I think we're seeing in this picture, Satan is, is cursed. And you're seeing this, this behind the serpent is this greater serpent. Verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In some places where you say, you shall crush his head and you shall bruise his heel in some text that we read. But I just think it's important as you're noting that and you're looking over that, we're seeing the serpent of old. Now, what one of the things just kind of comes to us, we say, who is that? And we're going to kind of look at that. I just want you to hear some verses on that, a couple of verses. Revelation 12.9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, has been thrown down to the earth along with his angels. Revelation 22, and he sees the dragon, the ancient servant who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Satan is often attributed as the one who is, is, is behind all of this Genesis 3 passage that's kind of unfolded before us. Now, not only that, we would say that he's the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? That means that He is operating in this realm. That means that in your ability to, to see that, is, you're, you're not able to see Him many times, but, but you can see Him as activity in this world. You see a fallen world. You see darkness. You see all of these things taking place. And I think it's important that we kind of note that. Not only that, there's a sense in which in 1 John it says that, that, that there are people, and in, John, in the Gospel of John, who are children of Satan. There's kind of this dividing thing. If you were to divide this group here and you say, in this world, they're the children of Satan and the children of God. There's a separation between the two. There's a strong distinction there. Honestly, when Jesus is talking to His disciples, He's speaking of how this world system, but also the children of Satan will come against them. That they are living in a hostile world, a hostile creation. Now, how do some Christians respond to that? Some do this. They build a, a church life that is so separated from the world, or, or maybe they try to create their church as this almost like a compound away from the world. They build their whole lives to kind of be separated from this world and try to get out all those bad Things, those influences, and some, sometimes we call that a monastery, right? 
where the monks would create this world that they did not need anything from the outside because the outside was evil. Now, one of our responses to that is this, is we're kind of thinking through that. We're saying, look, we're living in a fallen world. What should we do? Jesus said you're to live in that world. Really, the world is not your enemy as far as the fallen creatures or fallen people out there that do not know the Lord. They're not your enemy. They're your mission field. And so we go out into this world knowing that we're going to face great difficulty as we do it. Now, who is the? let me just say a couple of things where you see that taking place. In the Old Testament, for instance, God made a promise to a people, Abraham and his descendants. Well, you remember the Pharaoh that had them in Egypt and there was all of this struggle that was taking place during that time? Maybe you remember that. And ultimately, Pharaoh was trying to kill all the baby boys so they would stop multiplying so that people of God would be crushed. So forever, kind of, there's a sense in which he was trying to hold them back from growing so big. But ultimately, he's trying to des- destroy the seed, if you will. The, 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 those who would come in the line of the promised uh, people here. I mean, honestly, we kind of move forward. We say, okay, what happened later? And that's not the only thing that happened in the Old Testament. There's also a man named Haman that tried to exterminate the Jewish people, the people who are a part of the seed. As you move forward, it's almost like the heat's turned up, and when Jesus comes on the scene, there's a guy named King Herod, and he goes and he tries to kill again the one who is of the promised seed. He's trying to kill the seed, singular, Jesus, the one who had been promised in Genesis 3.15 here. Not only that, then Satan comes along and tries to tempt the seed, tries to pull Jesus away. And not only that, as you're moving forward, there comes a place where the actual Jewish people are saying, crucify Him, and Jesus is placed on the cross and is crucified. But we know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is He rose again from the grave. He defeated all those enemies, all the ones who are coming against God's people. He defeated them, and He, as the seed that was promised, has brought restoration and rescued. He has crushed the head of the serpent, and He has forever and finally defeated sin, hell, death, Satan, all of those things. So I want to read a couple of passages to you this morning because I want you to hear this. I want you to understand Genesis 3.15 really is that first evangelistic message of what is God going to do? How is He going to save us? How is He going to rescue us? How is He going to defeat sin forever? So listen to a couple of passages. We're not going to go to all those, but Colossians 2.15 says this, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In Matthew 12.28, Jesus speaks of having power over Satan as He binds him. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 24, Jesus is speaking and really the demons speak to Him and they say, have you come to destroy us? I know you're the Holy One of God. We see His power over death. We looked at that in Hebrews 2.14. He has the One who has power over death. He really takes the power away from the one who has power over death. That is Satan. 1 John 3, verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. All of those things are saying Jesus is triumphing 
over them. He is the seed that was promised that would come in the line of man. He was born as a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and He rescued us. He is saving us. He crushed the head of the serpent. He is triumphing over all. And we need to see that this morning. Jesus is saying here, and God is saying here, through His Word, I'm going to send one who will rescue My people from their sin. Now, we'll just keep moving here and go to verse 16. We're going to see what are the things, what are some of the things that He must rescue us from. Notice in verse 16. Now He begins to address the woman. In verse 16 says, To the woman He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, what's going on here? The very natural response, um, I mean, um, uh, say, I long to have children. I want to have children. At some point in my life, I desire to have children. I want that and I, would, I really long for it. And, and with that, that's, that's created in the heart of a woman because of a God-given desire that she would carry a baby. That the baby would be born. And that she would be able to raise that child. That is a God-given thing. It's part of what it means to be a woman. It's, it's a role that we are to carry. And yet, at the same time, we have to understand in that is that the thing that is most precious to a woman is the thing that's most difficult in a fallen world. I read some time ago, I heard kind of a conversation from some guys that had done some study doing that had done study on it. And I looked at it this last week, but you know, like even in the eighteen hundreds, like uh, women many women died during the times when they were trying to have children. There, over and over I would read about these people in, in, in those early times and, and their wives would pass away and they would marry another and sometimes another woman would pass away because it's a difficult thing. And in our day to day, it's a little bit different because we have so much, we've advanced so much that often people do not, but it's still a potential that that could take place. But what goes along with having a baby when someone says they're pregnant? Like Anna recently, when we were talking about it, she, she's like, she wakes up in the mornings, I shouldn't even have laughed, and we beat down later. But no, I'm just kidding. But she has morning sickness, and she'll feel nauseous all day. And part of that is part of the fall. The thing that she wants so much is the thing that becomes so difficult in that time. We think about even like uh, when we think about labor and the intensity of that moment. You know, it's just there's unbelievable suffering and struggle. And and I think just as you're kind of thinking about that, on top of that is it's like the fact that once you have the baby, it's like a 24-hour job, and all those things are taking place and going on, and it's very, very difficult. I would also add, just kind of as you're thinking about this, infertility is another issue. Because there are many people who try and try and try to have a baby, and yet in a fallen world, that's not always possible. And it's a struggle because it's such a difficult thing to face and to see. And, and certainly, as we talked about this morning, as we're thinking about people who maybe couldn't take care of their baby or some reason or another, now there's this child out there where someone can adopt and God has granted that. It's a beautiful thing, but that doesn't take away the struggle of raising children. Now, the second thing that we see, so there's not only that battle, but then the second thing is what? Their desire will be for her husband and he will what? He will push her back. 
he, in some ways, he can be extremely, extremely um, difficult because a husband sometimes will take their wife and they will mistreat them and they will rule over them with almost an iron fist. I think as we're looking at that text, and I think it's just important that we note this as we're moving ahead. Your desire shall be for your husband. The picture there is that you'll want the place of your husband. That, that, that often a woman will want to rule in her relationship. We said in the fallen world, everything is turned upside down. Rather than seeing and savoring God's design, it's swapping roles. It's trying to move that. In our culture, it's loaded with that. It's, it's a longing to assert authority and leadership over someone's husband or to say we're equal. And so, it's just kind of we battle it out and whoever wins, wins. There's a danger kind of in that. No doubt that men and women are equal, but they have different roles and different distinctive roles and God created it in that way. And a husband in a pre-fallen condition was to lead and guard and care for his wife. But in a fallen condition, he does not always do that. But it is God's design. There's this damaging kind of work that goes on when the fall took place where relationship with man and woman was completely broken. Do you ever see this in your marriage? Do you ever see that struggle? It's kind of, sometimes we think that it's this cat and dog kind of fight where a man and a woman, they're fighting all the time and they're fighting this out and fighting that out. It's not always that way. Sometimes we, we see someone who is secretly almost like rebelling inside and they come to a place maybe 30 years down the road where they cast off their husband's leadership or they cast off their, uh, serving and loving their wives. We see that countless times in our world. Sometimes it's a passive-aggressive kind of thing that we learn how to kind of do things to one another where it's not really where you're completely outright just saying throwing off your husband's leadership or, or a husband not completely and honestly loving his wife and cherishing her. Sometimes that's the case. But the reality is, is God does not call us to that. God is calling the man to love his wife as Christ loved the church and the woman to respond to that and to respect her husband. We see this though over and over and over again. The fall has tremendous things that are so blatantly clear before our eyes where we are not embodying what God has called us to. But you know what the Scripture says? It drives you back. Jesus did not leave you just to be in that broken condition. He saved us so that we would rightly love one another. That we would rightly respect one another. That should be at the heart of this. Now, one last thing I just want to say. In this time, as we're looking at this text, we understand that it's going to the heart of what the woman should enjoy most. And that is raising children and, and, and responding in love to her husband. That is at the heart of what it means to be a woman in the covenant of marriage and what, is, what we are called to and to be. And so I just think it's important to see because now we're going to move to the man. And notice in verse 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the, plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What's he telling him? What's he saying here? The ground is cursed. You used to live in a garden. Now, if you're going to provide for your family, it is not going to be a garden atmosphere. You don't just go out and work it and it's a joy. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be something that costs you something. It at times is going to be very difficult because you'll go out and work the ground and work the ground and it's not going to come up with something. You're going to live sometimes hoping that you will survive. I mean, we don't know that like many places in the world where they face that, but we know just this year in Texas there was a famine. and I mean, there's things dying. There's cattle being moved around and all of this stuff going on and they're saying it may take 10 years for everything to be right again. We know what that's like. But we also know that there's other things. It's difficult in a workplace. It's difficult to work with certain people. It's difficult because sometimes like you're working in a job and the market changes and everything's lost. It is going to be difficult to hold on to your responsibility as a man to provide for your family. It will be difficult in a fallen world because the earth is cursed. Things don't always, you don't always reap what you sow. And this is clearly presented in Scripture. And even on top of that, you may work hard and work hard all the days of your life. And you may come to the end and, and there will be some tragedy that causes you to lose it all. Now, how do some people respond? Some people say something like this, work is cursed, the ground's cursed, it's difficult, da-da-da-da-da. And so what they do is they say it would be better just to steal. If I could start stealing, and then I could just kind of get it a cheaper way, an easier way, a less costly way. Others seem to take work and they put it at the highest level and they live their whole lives centered around work and this is an abandonment of what God has called us to. Yet ultimately, the reality is as you come to the end, what He's saying is you're going to work all the days of your life. You're going to seek to provide for your, 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 your offspring and for your wife. And then ultimately, you will return to the dust. You will die. Now, that prospect of a fallen world, like Mike said earlier, it is scary. It is sad. It is broken. It is dark. That backdrop is so dark. But I remember not too long ago, it's kind of like, you ever been inside a jewelry store and they have really dark kind of velvet laid out? And then what they do is they clean up this diamond and they shine it up and they get these lights that are tremendous and they beam it down and it sparkles like, it's just amazing how it sparkles and shines. And you think, I've got to have that one. I mean, can you believe? And you think, man, it didn't shine like that. But they laid the backdrop and helped you see. Now, what, what's the point here? We understand that the fall brought so much trouble with God, with one another, and with the earth. All of this corruption. But, the Scripture again, going back to what we saw earlier, God made a promise in that moment, even in all the judgment, He extended mercy and grace. And He says in Genesis 3.15, He unpacks it for us. Jesus came 
the seed of the woman, He came. He came and lived a perfect life. He lived the life we never could live. He lived that life in a perfect way. He never sinned. Not one time. He was the seed that was promised that came and lived in every way obedient to the Father. But not only that, He went all the way to obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And Jesus died for His people. He faced our greatest enemy. He faced sin. He faced death. He faced Satan. He faced it all. He became a curse for us. He took the punishment that we deserve so that through faith in Him, we could be restored. Through faith in Him, He could transform our lives. Through faith in Him, we have a promise of a future. We have hope in Him. Through faith in Him, we're beloved by God. We're saved by God. We're rescued by God. We have a future with God. We're going to return to a place greater than Eden. We're going to return to a restored universe. A new heavens and a new earth where decay and death and dying and sin and disease will all go away. He's restored it all. He's brought it all about so that even though we're living still in this fallen world, sometimes struggling dearly, We have hope. For you today, if you are not a Christian, if you have never seen your sinfulness, if you've never really understood how dark the situation is, as Mike said, do not put hope in this world. This world is passing away in all of its lusts, but those who put their trust in Christ will be Saved, And that's what we need to hear this morning so that we understand that even though we live in a broken world, our Savior, our Savior came so that we might be rescued. That is our hope. That is what we put our hope in. That's what we cling to. That is a promise from God. And so this morning I ask that if you are not a believer, to not leave here without trusting in the only hope that we have. If you are a believer, I hope that you'd run back to and see the fallen condition and look at your different circumstances in life in light of the Gospel. And that's why we come to this time in our service together today. We're going to start today by, by coming, or we're going to end today, I guess, by coming to the Lord's Supper. We're coming to this moment where we are reminded of what Jesus did and accomplished for us. So if you'd stand with me, And bow your heads. I want to pray with you as we continue with our service today. Father, we thank You that You have saved us through Your Son. We thank You that we get to experience the promise, the fulfillment of what You made a promise to in Genesis 3.15 has become reality to us today. And I just pray for those who are here who have trusted in Christ, their heart would be firmed up. And those who have not, that they would dwell upon the cross. That they would see that Jesus is their only hope. That they would run to Him and cling to Him as their only hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.